Once upon a time. That's how all good stories start, right? Once upon a time. Actually, in medieval stories, they, they start in illo tempore, in that time. It's like there is a once upon a time. We are here in the Mosaic Arc to help you learn how to think about good stories. And one of the features that we know good stories have is layers, because like ogres, and of course onions, they've got them. And although the ogre in Shrek never explains how many layers he has, the donkey says he's maybe he's a parfait and parfaits have layers and cakes have layers too. I know from deep extensive study in the ancient tradition of storytelling, how many layers there are. And we are here tonight to peel that onion for you. Welcome to the Mosaic Arc. I'm told, I'm told that talking in layers is cool. I hope it is. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have, based on extensive study of, I've learned to call, I've been watching, I've been watching other people out there that do storytelling and they talk about ancient stories. Like I I do ancient stories. I can do ancient stories. Although I think sometimes when they mean ancient, they're actually talking, it's like, it's only a few hundred years ago. And so to me, it's like, new right we're gonna go for (laughs) or a few decades ago (laughs) i mean yeah what counts is what counts of ancient it may it my colleagues in in the history department can can tend to consider ancient anything it's like before 1789 so you know your mileage may vary (laughs) as far as i'm concerned modernity starts in 1215 and you know is just straight downhill from there however i i i i i i i Brought my pigeon in tonight to help me translate. (laughs) So take it away. (laughs) Well, we were chatting about uh, a few things (laughs) this week and having a look at um, all of the beautiful people that have been uh, joining us on the Mosaic Arc. And we've got a lot of Zoomers out there that have been looking at these videos. So I was thinking, you know, it's a it's kind of a moment where um we get to we get to present storytelling to to a new generation that are kind of communicating mostly in irony mm. uh 80% of the time so you've written a few blogs the last uh the last the last week and 
we're talking about what we're doing in Drake Alchemicus in terms of storytelling and, and putting layers into stories so that people have some some depth or something they can sink their teeth into. Like onions. But like onions, yeah. I don't know. Would you uh, sink your teeth into maybe ogres? Little... <laughs> I don't know. Into ogres. <laughs> I love that scene with Shrek and Donkey. I mean, I just, it's great because you're always, you're always looking for layers of meaning and significance in ogres. Yes. Yes. Uh, you were on irony. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, no, no. I was just like, I had a, I had a cheeky joke, but I'll keep it to myself. So I, um, I was thinking like how we're going to explain all of these different ways of interpreting a story or, or, or looking at a story um, when basically nobody has been doing that for mm. forever. Um, the, the kind of, okay. So the thing that's been happening, right. Is the Disney renditions of things, you know, like the redoing of, of, of all of these old stories. Like everyone was really angry when they did the Little Mermaid read, you know, rendition for lots of different reasons. And for mostly one reason, it was annoying to everybody. I didn't see it, so I don't know why they're annoyed. <laughs> oh, they're just, they're, they're just like the aesthetics okay. all off. So um, they're just, they're casting people just so they can tick diversity boxes instead of actually focusing on writing mm. a good story. So we've got like all of the storytelling machinery around us focusing on putting tokens into these dramas instead of being able to to share like a, a beautiful fairy tale with everybody. <clears throat> I was going somewhere with this. Hold on a second. The uh... well, there's the retellings and there's the the layers of significance, and these things I think are at odds with each other. Yes, a bit. Well. I, it kind of occurred to me that nobody was focusing on the layers of significance mm. at all. Maybe on one layer of significance everybody's obsessed with now, which is uh, like a, a representation of, of whatever intersectional identity needs to be represented in the particular story. But beyond that, there's nothing. So for Zoomers who are kind of swimming around in an ocean of irony, they're kind of stuck. They're stuck there because, I mean, for the most part, all of the stories that we're getting now have absolutely nothing. There's there's nothing to sink your teeth into. There's no onion. There's no layer cake. It's just uh, it's it's just representing an identity. So we're talking about Draco Chemicus and all of these layers that we're putting into it. Then I was thinking, okay, well. These are these are the four senses, the four medieval senses of of looking uh, at scripture, at the at the at the story of scripture, and this is something that Dante put into the Divine Comedy. He crystallized this very clearly in that poem. People from the New World really don't access Dante very mm. easily. It's seen as a uh, very highbrow. Uh, very kind of academic. You have to be a super genius in order to access Dante. The references are all very distant, uh, very hard to kind of connect to. The Italians, on the other hand, are breathing it because it's just there in the in the soup of the Italian culture. So they'll reference the 
the great poem of of Dante just uh, in in their speech because mm. you know he he basically helped to form the Italian language. So basically, what I wanted to do today was ask you, like a little colonial stuff, how we're going to reconnect with all of these stories, mm. with the layers, and kind of escape this. Um, very shallow and monotonous uh way of interpreting everything which is very surface level it's always based on the the diversity aesthetic mm -hmm. no matter who is looking at the uh, looking at the story they're they're now it seems like everybody's focusing on a diversity aesthetic which is why the retellings are ang angering everybody for the reason that they've diversified Ariel the Little Mermaid and they've made her a black mermaid but they haven't focused on the story no one's angry about the bad storytelling they're just angry about the the diversity aesthetic I don't really know how to explain how we read all of these old stories mm. to uh to a generation that needs to to escape this so I'm gonna ask you okay <laughs> is it making sense so far? Well, but see, the, what's funny is the first thing is that the diversity stuff isn't the problem. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> right? And and I, I hadn't thought of it in terms of The Little Mermaid. I didn't watch it. Um, and so I don't know what they did to the story. I mean, I caught, I caught a, 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 a sort of hint of it. It's like it's set in the Caribbean. Well, that's... So is Pirates of the Caribbean, right? So we're not, we're not mm -hmm. actually opposed to stories set in the Caribbean, right? Um, and mm -hmm. she's a mermaid, so, you know, sort of what color she is, she could have been blue, right? <laughs> or she could and yeah. so I think, um, if we're going to worry about the, the, the and, and there's others out there, they're talking about, you know, the way in which these retellings, like Shrek, I actually thought Shrek was hilarious. And mm -hmm. the, the sort of rework. Yeah, I like them. <laughs> I like and the reworking I mean it ends up kind of romantic in the end right I and I, I I haven't seen them in a while and so I don't remember what's happening but you know he wants to go save his home from the immigrants no wait <laughs> right <laughs> the, 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 the the prince has driven all the fairy tale creatures out and they are showing up in his swamp and he wants to you know have his own home I'm not sure they could make that movie anymore yeah. <laughs> right. That's like two that swamp the swamp nationalist. The swamp nationalist <laughs> ogre, donkey, right? Um and, and you know, the donkey is a very funny sidekick, which is great. Mm. And in the end, I think it happens in the second one, I don't remember, but in the end, um uh Fiona the princess has to be ogre, so she matches him. I mean wives are adapting to their husbands. I mean, I say it seems to me Shrek is fairly patriarchal and nationalist. I mean, <laughs> so watch your stories, right? They may be actually doing more than you realize. That's why I, I would, ha if we're going to mm -hmm. do the Little Mermaid, which maybe we ought to do, and 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 subvert the subversion, uh, I'd have to watch it. Um, but on the other hand, I think when people are worrying about whether or not stories have lost their depth and, and resonance, again, we, so it's like, uh, we, we advertise this episode because I like Shrek and I think the ogres have layers is funny. And I think, you know, cakes and, and stories ought to have layers. And by the way, that's exactly why the Italians that you're talking about love Dante, they get the references. 
-hmm. And the reason Dante is hard for modern readers to get is he's making references all the time too. I mean, it's it was fun, it was funny or hilarious. And he's like satire always, which is, I mean, the Inferno is a is a is a powerful you know indictment of of sin. But the reason it's funny is because he's putting all his contemporaries in hell. So, you know, it's it's hard for modern, you know, to read and you get a footnote because it's like, who's, you know, who's this Count Ugolino that we've never heard of? And he's nine, the head of his son mm-hmm. and who's nine him and it's in hell. And, you know, that the it, it it's like putting all the, the it's like putting all the modern politicians in Shrek swamp. And, you mm-hmm. know, 500 years from now, nobody will know who, believe it or not, nobody will know who Trump is. I know boggles them all. they certainly won't know who biden or you know pence or carry on down the the rep you know the the cat the the roster of all of the people that our present day media is obsessed with nobody will know who any of those people are and therefore anything we write now with that kind of 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 sort of layer of of you know this is an example good example of a sinner won't mean a thing to subsequent readers so the the sort of feeling of whether or not the story has that depth and that power if you put modern if you book contemporary references in anything it's going to age um so i you know it's like it's going to be interesting with the diversity you know what we're worried about with the diversity um question whether or not the the representation it's like later generations probably won't they'll probably look at all of these particular categories that we are complete gelps and ghibellines shall we do that Anybody care about those? Not in the slightest. <laughs> and and the interesting thing about Dante, of course, maybe we should bring him on screen since we're talking about him. There he is. He's he's sniffing mm-hmm. a flower. Um, that Dante in exile, right? Where was Dante mm-hmm. when he wrote the greatest poem in Italian? He wasn't in Florence, which was the dialect that he was writing in, because he'd been kicked out for being on the wrong side of whatever political faction was it ascended at the time and i forget it's black gelfs or black ghibelline no wait it's like it had already fractured the gelfs and the ghibellines were the 12th century mm-hmm. 13th century i have to re i have to re restudy these every single time i look at dante because they mean nothing to me except for once the imperial once the imperial party and once the papal party and then those two fractured and so i think somebody's gonna have to look it up but it was gelfs that were in charge of the city at the time that dante was um, alive and they had fractured and he was on the wrong side of one of those so they kicked him out sound familiar so he <laughs> so he got deplatformed from florence he got deplatformed from his entire city <laughs> never mind twitter right dante was was literally kicked out of his hometown and never got to return so basically what he did when he wrote the divine comedy was put all his enemies in hell Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's like, did the, reading all those footnotes now realize it was it was it was like someone now who got kicked off of twitter only worse and had to write his story from you know a place that he didn't feel at home all about and and you know the horrible irony of it is you know now he's buried in florence right but he wasn't at the time <laughs> he had to move him back dead <laughs> And again, I don't remember where he's buried before because everyone thinks of Dante and Florence and isn't it great? I want to go, you know, mm-hmm. on Room with the View, R.A.P. Julian Sands. Um, you, you know, have to go back and, you know, have the, the great grand tour experience of walking where Dante did. Well, not when he was writing the Divine Comedy because he had been exiled. Mm-hmm. Have I made my point? Maybe. <laughs>
Yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking no one wants to do the grand tour of him in exile. <laughs> Standing out in a field somewhere. Writing, right, eviscerating <laughs> his, lines, his, his enemies writing. in fiction, right? <laughs> it's like if you want to write great poetry for the ages, get kicked out of your hometown and then take revenge on your enemies by putting them in the eighth circle of hell, being tormented by demons. <laughs> we can do that. Mm-hmm. Have we? <clears throat> yeah, we can't. <laughs> we may have. <clears throat> yes, we use you as fodder for our stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> COVID. You know that was a that was a little similar. It was a, a, yeah. a little similar to a Florentine exile, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it was for me. <laughs> So, okay, so our our boy has been exiled and writes this magnificent poem. So he's writing satire and referencing his contemporaries, putting them all in hell to make fun of them. Oh, they deserve so to be there. Come on. Probably. They deserved it. <laughs> I'm sure they did. <laughs> but this this doesn't sound very highbrow. Oh, this my. This sounds like a... Like a political cartoonist. Yeah. See, this is why so, you guys really want to learn to rhyme. <laughs> learn to scan, right? And okay, so that that's that's the first layer. That the, the reason this book this this text is feels obscure to us now is because it was alive at the time. And it was alive mm. in the same way our contemporary writing is with all of the I mean and, and what's interesting is I'm not sure most great literature has done this, right? That it 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 gets it gets littered, excuse me, with the footnotes in the future, because at the time it's so current. So we basically just like the references right now, yeah, to that's Dante. The, that's, that's all. That's you have to problem. you have to imagine yourself back into their their moment to feel the force mm. of the criticisms that he's making of his contemporaries for their sins everybody only get, ever gets to read mm. the inferno in high school so you know it's like guess what there's two more books and they get better it, things get better <laughs> but well they don't even do that in australia oh, yeah. dante isn't even uh, accessible to most high school students here which is crazy because of the amount of italians in mm. this country but it's like, um, you know, I mean, this is my constant complaint. I won't go on because I don't want to change topic, but my constant complaint of what's happening to, to all of us, uh, the WOGs, migrate to Australia and then suddenly, you know, dissolve in this, like, I wouldn't even call it Anglo education. Mm. It's like a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a Minecraft server with no blocks inside it. You're just wandering around, chipping away at one wall. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's just it's it's a very very strange thing that the cultures that are that are able to access this kind of text move to the new world and then suddenly lose all references to it, losing the language that connects them to it because the language has has emerged from from this poetry. So, well, two 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 things can I, happen, right? And it's like on on the one hand, you're saying it, we we lose it, right? And the lowbrow, highbrow really matters here. There's a middlebrow too that we're going to get to, mm. <laughs> um, but that uh, it Dante Dante was not as such writing highbrow literature at the time. He was, you know, writing. He had hate muses that he was 
eviscerating in his in his in his poetry and and he was also he was also a political writer because some of his argument was um about certainly in the paradiso when he has the jupiter um sphere and the the star the the souls align and show the m of the great monarchy and stuff he was a grand he was a great monarchist and Mm. that was you know not to the appeal of the florentines at the time since their republic um I don't. I haven't really dealt with Dante's political political positions very well. But um, that he he. I mean, he he wasn't a scholastic theologian. He he did not go. He was not in the university, right? He did not have the status of a, a great intellectual. He was a poet, writing in the vernacular. He lived. He and kicked out of his own town. I mean, he basically had, you know ordinary status he's more like a movie maker now right might be might have money or something like that but doesn't have necessarily have highbrow status or even aristocratic so it's kind of like pop art poetry meets like a kind of uh tarantino approach to satire is putting everyone there okay yeah Yeah. that makes sense that makes sense to me so, but then two things happen. So you say, you know, it's like when you, the, the, the people come to the new world, either your new world or my, our new world, and they forget their roots. And then what happens a few generations later is the things that they've lost and forgotten. I mean, we, we made jokes right just now about Room with a View and the Grand Tour that the English spend a lot of the 17th and 18th century traveling to the continent and feeling impressed with the culture because they've thrown out their Catholicism. So, you know, they have to go somewhere else to like... Go on holiday to get Vo- vo- you know, <laughs> voyeurs of, of Catholicism. Um, that it it people the middle brow are those who are anxious about having lost their culture, and they 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 turn things like you know now Dante into this thing that you need to know to be educated. Um, the aristocracy never cares, right? <laughs> Like either, mm-hmm. I mean, really, they don't, right? It's it's fascinating, and and the 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 the, the working classes, the ordinary folk, want great stories. Which, if you can access it, you realize is a great story. It the anxiety of all of this is always the middle class, right? It's the city dwellers, which ironically Dante's actually writing for, right? The townspeople who don't have the social standing to be truly above everything, and and you know eat mcdonald eat burgers in in the palace (laughs) Mm. um and and you know they're worried about falling into a lack of culture and a a sort of folkness and so weirdly enough although dante is neither of those things he becomes this kind of badge and, and particularly in the 19th century in the united states when i think who starts translating is it longfellow um, it, you know, see if I were, if I were properly status anxious, I'm, I'm academic status anxious, but I'm not quite social status, social class status anxious, um, for reasons that I think are interesting in my own family. But, um, basically cause the women in my family went to college forever. And so I don't have that particular educational anxiety to prove that I'm something by way of proving that I have this middle brow education, which is basically what my employer mm. makes its money off of. <laughs> it's true in the 19 late 19th century all the university american universities go gothic right because they want to attract the middle class have i burst enough bubbles yet <laughs> <laughs> well 
That see no, but that makes sense to me because uh, you're you're kind of swimming across class distinctions in that way that the poem itself swims across across the class right. distinctions because you know you go to a house in uh, you know whatever city you're in, but you know I would go to a lot of uh, a lot of private residences and they would just have pieces of art or posters or you know whatever it was uh something in the house that referenced uh dante mm. it's just in italy uh, he's everywhere yeah yeah in yeah. italy in italy just everywhere and it's no big deal it's not uh it's kind of like finding superman uh, a superman comic you right know? so it becomes so, so ubiquitous after a while that you just oh yeah there's another thing that, that, that when you first get there you you think uh oh wow you know everyone's really uh kind of switched on to this no it's just it's just part of the it's just part of the the world here it's part of the art world here so okay so we're you've kind of you, you've ruptured my question into two points now so the middle class have this status anxiety it's kind of their definition <laughs> yeah dante's writing to them but on the outside so he's been exiled from all of that so he's lost status <laughs> he has and there's there's so, whole i mean it, it particularly in in the paradiso there's a whole um conversation he has with one of his ancestors and they're talking this is he's writing in the early 14th century right now thinking about what dante's florence mm -hmm. was there's no duomo they haven't built it yet um and mm -hmm. and his ancestor is talking about how the good old days are in the past, which is hilarious since it's, you know, this is not the Florence of the Medici's or the, the Grand Tour or Room with a View, right? This is Florence in the early 14th century. It hasn't been hit by the plague yet even. Um, remembering when the great nobility was the families of the 12th century. And, 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 and mm -hmm. Dante's ancestors remembering when we used to be one of them. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, it's 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 not only not only is it in exile, but it's like and we used to have status. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> that's the that's the convict uh, the the convict woe, mm -hmm, isn't it? Mm -hmm. When when we were Europeans once upon right. a time. So Dante's writing about so, this. It's like he's it's like you might as well be in Australia writing for the city that he lost. <laughs> poor guy all right so we've established this now it's pop satire of his time it's not highbrow and he's pitching it to people with status anxiety in but Probably. in italian if he was really going for the true status yeah. anxiety he'd be writing in latin which is you know what petrarch does who is like you know fanboy in avignon and wishing he was you know the 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 stuff right <laughs> mm. You guys don't let the status anxiety of the 19th century trick you into worrying about whether or not you can make sense of these stories. They're great stories and that that they've been elevated into this this it's like making the little mer I mean it's like making the little mermaid into high literature, which maybe it is. But worrying about Disney remaking it so that it's got, you know, set a different setting and it's in the Caribbean that's what Dante did. He also, I mean, we, we had this discussion um, um, last week in our marathon about, you know, how do you, how, what do you do with, with um, culture? Like you reappropriate the stories. Well, guess what Dante does? 
I mean, mm-hmm. not only does he put his his contemporaries in hell, right, but he reappropriates the entire tradition so that he puts Trajan in heaven. Probably, I think it's Trajan, or is it Hadrian? You know, he 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 just collects. A, he's like a superhero collector, right? Or the guys with all of the the, the um figurines right that they've collected from different stories he puts he mm-hmm. does that right he's he's collecting them all and he puts <laughs> them he he distributes them where he likes them so he says like these ones belong in purgatory and these ones belong in paradise <laughs> those will burn over there in hell it's like an autist with pokemon yes figurines. he's collected all of his Placing pokemon them in the and he's putting them in, in their in their correct their correct places yeah that's kind of cool so this is sounding way more accessible than the way it's first proposed to everybody uh, who's completely detached. Oh, it's going. Uh, everyone who's completely detached from the world and all of the references that he's using. Okay. So that's not so scary. What about these different layers that he's putting into that story? Oh, okay. I've got layers now. Because I'll show this, you layers. Because okay. this is... This is an intimidating thing, I think, to anyone who is, you know, in in modernity. Um, saying, okay, yeah, the story's got a message in it. It's got a metaphor. Okay, that that's all right. We can kind of deal with that. This thing stands for this. We've got a we've got a symbol here or there, maybe. But when when you first hear four senses of interpretation or there's four layers here happening at one time it sounds intense it is intense it's very cool Mm. it's cool um and you're writing about this now i wanted to kind of links will be in the description to all the blog posts so that if you if you want the literary if you want the not the the literary because i'm not writing literary on the blog but if you want the literal version of all of this the typed one (laughs) We'll, we'll, we'll put the we'll yeah. put the links in. It's in print. Um, okay, so I, I was looking at the I was looking at the the Dante exhibition uh, resources because we we had one in Australia. They put one on down in Victoria uh, a couple of years ago during the pandemic, which I thought was interesting. Mm. You know, what a time to put on a Dante exhibition in, in the middle of like <laughs> in the middle of a uh, medical uh, medical dictatorship. So they had a collection of artworks that had been done and the artists were referencing this work. And one of them was... Oh, I think I have that one. Do you want me to go to it? I couldn't f- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was another one I couldn't find for the slides, unfortunately. I saw okay. it. I've got uh, the pyramid, the, the rainbowy ago. pyramid on. Yes. Okay. Um, this was kind of the standard of the artwork. It was very plain, <laughs> very, very schematic. This and you're, what are you looking at? It, it's like a, a kind of um, productivity graph that you'd see if you were working for a bank or something, mm. but with a little more rainbows added, right? So you don't really know what you're looking at. I think you that's to supposed to be purgatory. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. But you'd have to have already understood the references to, to get I get what it's purgatory. Is, it's very right? clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. So I was looking at this and I was thinking, okay, how how the artists are interpreting this story doesn't seem to be conveying 
the depth of of all of the senses that Dante had put into this. Mm. Then I was looking at others. I was thinking, okay, I'll go back to the list. What makes his way of thinking so different to the modernity that's reading his texts and translating it into artwork? And this is something that you've worked on and that maybe some people think is too obscure, again, too highbrow to, to, to connect with or to access. But as we've been talking over the years, I've realized that this, uh, this way of seeing all of the, the layers and the onions, the layer cake of interpreting a story, this is kind of the break between the, the medieval mentality and the mentality of modernity, isn't mm -hmm. it? I mean, this is like everybody can focus on how the art gets degraded, the architecture gets degraded, the language gets degraded. Oh, we're degenerate now. The culture is degraded. But essentially, as, as, as we're talking, I'm realizing that there's this enormous catastrophic mental breakdown of European society where they've gone from being able to run on these like four layers concurrently naturally uh, at any one time in terms of how they interpret a, a text or they're interpreting the world, interpreting the stories of the world. This catastrophic mental breakdown of Europe that is modernity where suddenly you go from these four senses to everything being stripped mm -hmm. back and people no longer being able to think like this. So you've worked on this. And as a medievalist, I want to ask you, first off, what caused the breakdown? And second, what exactly did people used to think like before this kind of, before this, this happened? I like how we're going to show the, the mentality of a of a storyteller and the and the mentality of the readers of these stories before they had this complete uh, collapse. Well, bluntly, the complete catastrophic collapse was not seeing Christ in anything anymore. Mm -hmm. um, the the sort of slightly longer version of it is that the the mystery that Dante is working with here and I, I i i want to answer your question immediately but i'm gonna throw a boomerang um yeah. the, the, no, the funny thing <laughs> about it is it's like in the in in the first the first the series of the blog post the four senses of the four senses of draco alchemicus right so we're going to work through these i'm quoting dante mm -hmm. and he's writing a letter to his friend con grande now i know that quotation pretty well because it's like you, everybody invokes it constantly in dante studies so it's like here dante is saying that my book Divine Comedy, or he just called it the comedy, the Divine Comedy part. The Divine part is added later as part of the title. So as, as far mm -hmm. as he's concerned, the comedy is to be like scripture, to be read on these different levels, which is a huge bit of chutzpah. <laughs> Right? He's, he's saying, I've written a, a story that works like, you know, the sacred book does. Um, and, and the other funny thing is he's doing it to a, a lord that he's trying, a warrior, a warrior magnate guy. I don't really know that much about him. I kind of tried to dig around a little bit in my big fat Dante book and I couldn't figure it out. But yeah, that's okay. But it's, it's irrelevant. He's trying, it's like Spencer writing all those, um, those dedicatory let, uh, verses that we talked about um he's trying dante's trying to impress a patron right he's gold, he's digging. gold digging. 
<laughs> and so he's he's saying so the, the, this comedy that I've written it needs to be read on these multiple levels. Now, what's interesting about this is this is the way that medieval Christians read scripture. The reason that Dante would know how to do this is not because he's a cleric, but because he's heard sermons that do this. Right. This is an oral culture. Mm. This is a very oral culture. And so you're saying it's like medieval Christians used to know how to read like this is because their their clergy taught them to by way of the, the sermons that they would hear. And and again, Dante had a regular education. Florence Florence at the time had a very robust sort of town school system. And we know that the, the children, both girls and boys, right? It's like from the in the fourteenth in sorry, in the thirteenth century when Dante was growing up. We know that children would, you know, would they be educated in grammar? Well, they'd be educated in rhetoric and, and logic, basic trivium. They'd be educated in, in this kind of, of interpretive practice. But that Dante is applying it to his own poem. It would be like, for example, if we're playing with our, our previous references, you know, Lucas, George Lucas saying Star Wars had similar layers to, I don't know, Proust something right you know something very highbrow mm -hmm. and 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 you know status in the literary culture and you know a popular popular artist comes along and says mine has has these layers now the reality is they're right because great stories stories do <laughs> we'll get to that mm -hmm. um but the the sort of it, it feels complicated to us partly because of the labels that are put on it um and partly because it's not it's not so much stories haven't been doing this all along, but the preachers no longer show you this in their reading of scripture. Shall I continue? <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> I got questions. <laughs> and and I I reference this in the blog post too that one of I I posted that four senses of scripture, four senses of Draco Chemicus, and I had a Twitter follower say People in seminary are not even taught this anymore. It's considered sort of, you know, uh, curious and, and embarrassing. And in seminary, you know, they won't learn that scripture comes in these different registers, right? And I said, ooh, gee, what do you learn? And um, he said, well, you know, it's only the liberal theologians only learn, you know, sits in Laban historical criticism and the, con you know, the, the conservative, whichever, whatever that means in seminary, do similar, right? It's like, what happened from the the Protestant Reformation is that everybody stopped re arguing that in fact the scriptures need to be read as about Christ. Now that's hilarious and silly because Christianity cannot exist unless the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New. It it it. it I mean, talk about flattening the pancake, right? There, it, unless the 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 second layer, this Jerusalem is the church, actually operates. There is no church because Christ is not fulfilled in, in the mysteries. Um, the other layers, and I, so I said, you know, to my friend, it's like, well, okay, so there's the literal sense and we all read the literal sense. Christians should read the allegorical sense because otherwise you can't read the scriptures at all. Moral sense just means mm. you preach how this teaches us about virtue. Surely you're doing that in your preaching. In the anagogical <clears throat> sense, the, the sort of eschatological or heavenly reference, that's the, you know, how does this lift you in contemplation? How does this show you something about the way the patterns work together in the world and, you know, lift you up into understanding? You do it all the time, right? What's fascinating mm -hmm. is that the, the the seminarians, and particularly in the, I point to this a little bit, in the, in the 19th century in particular, um, scholars of scripture, 
particularly liberal German. It's again, it's a liberal means different things in these different um, contexts, but the German Lutheran um, scriptural scholars get very, one, they first start saying it's all a myth when they read David Strauss and he gets them all upset. And then the English all come along and say, oh no, no, it's all like empirically true. What we end up with in the 20th century is no, there's no mythology in the scriptures. That's Boltmann. It's all basically text for, you know, figuring out whether Jesus actually existed in history. Yawn. So when you're talking about what happened to the mystery, what happened to stripping it out, it's like, well, guess what? It was the theologians and the, and the preachers who did it. Specifically, uh, German Lutherans and English Protestants, I'm guessing, leading the charge there. Well, they all so, got embarrassed. They've... They, no, they, they really, so the, the Enlightenment's <laughs> in there with Voltaire making fun of everybody. Um, the, you know, okay. the, the Catholics sort of, the Catholics got embarrassed too. And I, I will call you guys, you know, guys, um, that I have, mm. I have been working on this, you know, medieval tradition of reading in layers and mysteries and symbols and, you know, trouble, you know, moral teaching and stuff like that for decades now. And when I entered the church, I had this naive thought that, gee, they'll all have been reading the fathers too, and they'll know about Bernard of Clairvaux, and they'll know mm. about the four senses of scripture. And when I tell them about Mary as the Ark, it will be something they're familiar with. No, right? Somehow in mm. modernity, everybody got embarrassed. And instead of reading the scriptures, I mean, maybe you get a little sort of moral lesson off of them or something like that. But instead of the reading the scriptures as this living sort of, um, text that points to us points to things on on a variety of levels they decided to to simply say oh you know the number of sermons you've heard i'm sure that start with such and such word in the scriptures you know the text means this and in you know first century palestine this would have been the way people lived and now we get a lesson right it it's it's tragic yeah Yeah, see as you're saying that this is the this is the difference when uh when when uh, african orthodox are describing the scriptures and this is what we discovered when we started talking to each other mm. what i was saying you were like oh yeah you just sound like a medieval christian <laughs> when, you were, when you were talking i was like oh my god finally somebody who's not from this tradition who understands what i'm talking about because it was like um whew, no one uh absolutely no and and also like not even not understanding it like kind of as you're saying they're embarrassed embarrassed but yeah and and it, say it's like middle brow is constantly embarrassed this is the middle brow embarrassment at being considered too mystical i guess it's like it, it, yeah. something like that. It's like you can see. It's like I I've yeah. spent my life making myself embarrassed, so, or, or, or putting myself <laughs> in situations that people are saying, "Aren't you, aren't you worried?" And I'm like, "Okay, guys, I live. You know, I ba- I basically live embarrassed. You know, in horror of making some social gaffe or others. And, and no, I'm not because, weirdly enough, in Christ there is no worry about this. So, carry on." <laughs> Yeah, well, we got different status in the kingdom, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the <laughs> that's the the fun part of Christ. You know, everyone's arguing about who's going to sit at his side. 
he's got other ideas about who it is. Um, it's funny. So okay. So this was this is what this is what you and I were talking about for for a while. That um, I do read with the the four senses, right. and it's not a brag thing. It's just it's just an Africa thing, guys. It's literally that simple. Right. Like, uh, not not just Africa, but like, you know, uh, I wasn't anglified. Let's put it like that. So I uh, miraculously avoided anglif <laughs> the anglification of my reading of the scriptures. And and then the tradition that uh, I'm a part of is still alive with this um, this in interpretation style. This this um, it's the ancient Christian reading. It's it's and, yeah. it, and it very much comes yeah. from Africa. It's very you know it's origin of Alexandria is one of the yep. primary you know early commentators who builds up a lot of the allegories that became standard in oh, mystical understanding so yeah it's it's the it's the ancient tradition hmm. okay so <laughs> so europeans are have just become embarrassed by this and they trip themselves up on status anxiety and now they can't read the scriptures with christ in them because of status anxiety far out yeah shall i give you another twist it's hilarious yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and indeed, the, all of this is obviously more complicated, or can be more complicated than making it. But I'm, I'm, I am telling you basically the, the, you know, it's like the Germans and the English in the 19th century get very anxious about the mythological layer in all of this mystery. And Rudolf Bultmann mm -hmm. in the early in, in 1941, same year that Dorothy Sayers's play, The Man Born to Be King, is is produced on BBC Radio. All of this is in the in the blog post. Um, Bil Boltman does this essay called "Demythologizing the New Testament," and it's 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 a you know it's a stunner of a piece because he starts off saying you know this old world view of having heaven and hell and never mind Dante right it's like Dante's working and you mm. know there's 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 heaven there's earth there's hell we have a map we'll go to a map we'll, mm. we'll forget what I'm passing through you see nothing I'm getting to the map here we go. Um, that this this is the, the concentric spheres and you've got hell in the center and purgatory where you are <laughs> on the opposite side from Italy right and then the celestial spheres okay so that whole structure Boltman says fantasy mythological the New Testament depends on that but we don't need it anymore I mean the 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 backflips he's able he's he's able to do in order to say that we still need Christ somehow because get, we're still Christian but we don't need angels and demons we don't need death and resurrection we it's like swipe the creed out and come up with this kind of I can't even reproduce it I have taught it in class before but I can't remember what I said out loud because it's like how does this make sense that you have decided the story's not real to such an extent that although you still want Christ as your savior, you can't say what he saves you from. Sound familiar? Mm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah. from, and, and, and what's interesting is because, you know, Catholicism and I'm, I'm somewhat aware of what happens to Catholicism in, in the modern period, but not really. I mean, I get that it gets really focused on the popes, which you guys have figured out. I don't care about at all. Because in the Middle Ages, they're just the guy in charge of the church in Rome. The, you know, the saints are typically not popes, except for Gregory the Great. And the the sort of mysteries are carried in the liturgy, which is again associated with Gregory the Great. But it's it's a, the medieval church has a very different feel from the modern Vatican-centered papal 
Catholicism that most modern Catholics know. And that mm. that modern Catholicism has also gone through a number of different crises of, of confidence and conscience. And Vatican II is not the only one. Before Vatican II, one of the things that happens is there's a whole bunch of guys um, writing lots and lots of very fat books, some of which I've read some of, um, trying to figure out how do they recover their own tradition? Because they've lost it too, right? It's like, it's not just the Protestants lose everything, so do the Catholics. And one of the great books of this this early 20th century period is Henri de Lubac's um, Four Senses of Scripture. Now, I keep banging into de Lubac in other contexts, and apparently, you know, there's problems with him, but whatever, right? Because everybody's falling off the, the, the ancient um, sort of Christmas of understanding of Christ is revealed in the scriptures. There you go. Right. But um, mm-hmm. de Lubac writes this, this, this four volume work called medieval exegesis, exegesis medieval on the four senses of scripture. And in his description of it, it's this old tradition that we need to recover. Uh, Pope Benedict the 16th also was, working very heavily on this. And in his Jesus of Nazareth books, he talks some about how we need to recover mm-hmm. this ancient practice of reading. Okay. Again, you guys see mm-hmm. why, you know, you're all insane as far as I'm concerned in modernity, because this is just, just the way you read. And if you have to recover it, well, you're already lost. Okay. <laughs> it's there mm-hmm. in Dante. Okay. Is any of this making sense still? Oh, okay. makes, no, it makes okay. perfect so sense. We got I mean, modern- just, to, just to add a copy, go ahead. Just to add a Coptic note onto this, like, so you guys don't feel too bad about the fact you lost the ability to do this. <laughs> so we basically had the same problem with the iconography mm-hmm. because for a little while our icon our iconography schools were um, kind of broken for, you know, lots of reasons. Uh, you know, Islamic iconoclasm uh, had a thing that, you know, kind of broke up our tradition. So we had to, we actually... Um, a friend of mine uh, told me that there was a French iconographer who'd studied and assisted the Alexandrian Alexandrian iconographers to reboot our own tradition. They had kept more of what we had uh, given everyone else than we were using for a very long time. So there was an exchange and Europe, French uh, iconographers basically bequeathed back to the uh, the cops something that we weren't doing for a long mm. time. So this is essentially what we're doing now. This is what you guys were already doing for a long time. This isn't like some weird, like crazy alternative version of Catholicism. This is actually, this was Europe until the collapse. I had right. to state it again to make it really plain, yeah. but um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I think there's probably more, it's, you thought ogres had layers, eh? History is even better. Mm-hmm. Um, so De Lubac writes this book and he it's in French. Mm-hmm. And some of you may know about this thing called postmodernism, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is allegedly the thing <laughs> ruining all their stories, right? It's like, that's, it's, yeah. oh, that bloody postmodernism that's ruined all the fairy stories. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, that's what everyone says. Do they? Do they? I I think it's sad sometimes on the internet. The postmodernist has ruined all the fairy stories. Oh, please don't go there, Rachel. You just okay. So <clears throat> postmodernism ruined all the fairy stories. Where did postmodernism come from? Class. 
you know, somebody really should study more medieval. <laughs> okay. Can I blame the French? I'm going to blame, blame the, French. the French. But why would we blame okay. the French? Why would, okay, André de Lubac is writing in French. He writes this giant book on the four senses of scripture, talking about how scripture is this inexhaustible well of readings and layers. And we can go back to the layers. Go back to the layers. Okay. Here we go. Is this the onion? No, no, it's just your list. All right. So, oh, so yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that there's, you know, the literal, the tropological, the allegorical, oh, these are out of order. It's usually literal, allegorical, tropological, anagogical, but never mind. Um, and, and that, you know, De Lubac is showing the way this ancient tradition used all of these, these layers and that texts were, mm, fancy word, polysemous. You see what I did there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I brought in some Greek. She's, she's using dragon. I'm speak using now. dragon speak because it's you know it's inexhaustible polysemy, right? Now the funny thing about the French is, despite the fact that they you know they're not you know they're embarrassed about being Catholic, they're all still trained in medieval studies over the course of the early 20th century, including people like oh I don't know, Daddy Da. And Lacan and Bataille, and I kind of tried made to learn how to say these words, and Bart, right? So Roland Bart is famous, or used to be, in literature departments in the United States, particularly in the 80s, particularly in the time when I was in an, an undergraduate and graduate school, particularly in the moment when I was learning about the, multi, multi, the four senses of scripture and wasn't that cool and recherche and you couldn't figure out how to, you know, these medieval commentators could do it because everybody in the modern period said, no, that's stupid. We only do the history. Meanwhile, Bart read De Lubac, which is hilarious, and then figured out, oh, look, text can have multi-layers. <laughs> you guys, 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 polysemian, postmodernist, deconstructive, elaborate, textual. They don't, it doesn't necessarily come just from Marx. We can make Marx into like a heretic, too as a Christian. But anyway, it comes from reading medieval exegesis, so please. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I you see I I just become a medievalist and you have no more anxieties whatsoever left. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you realize modernity is just constantly reconstructing itself on relabeling the truth that you already knew which is texts come with multiple layers. I mean, Bart made this big deal about it. And, you know, in, in the modern, in the American Academy, he became very popular and particularly popular in English departments in the eighties and nineties. And everybody started talking about how texts have multiple layers of meaning. And I am, this is, this is, this became the book that I wrote out of all of this. And we'll maybe talk about that if I can stop giggling a bit. Um, that it, that I was learning about these layers of scripture and, hearing friends that were you know in literature departments learning about polysemy and how fancy and and i said wait a minute that sounds familiar and it, it wasn't for some time until a friend of mine bruce holzinger wrote a book on the pre-modern condition of all of this french avant-garde theory and he's saying you know the americans think it sounds all cool and 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 and, and difficult but it's mainly because they didn't realize that all of these scholars that were using it were just trained as medievalists and then ignored their footnotes read the footnotes okay so so am i bothered that the little mermaid may be you know postmodern polysemous yeah. no 
So am I bothered that Shrek may be layered and, you know, making references to all sorts of stories and retelling them and undoing them? No, because I'm a medievalist mm-hmm. and I know that's what living traditions do. Hilariously enough, if only we could in fact recognize that every time we read a story we're doing what dante said he was doing in these fancy terms anyway it's it's just we made to a large extent we lost the labels my dog's going mad your dog gets it the dog gets it <laughs> she does don't let the i mean it's like what the, the message here is don't let don't let people bamboozle you right don't go in to the literature departments and have them all speaking in dragon speak about polysemy and then you say well i just think you know there's there's a literal meaning here and there's also a truth that shows christ in 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 the in the mysteries and the prophecies and then there's a there's a teaching about how we should behave and that's moral and you know that this you know wrestling with these patterns and mysteries and symbol symbol references and associations lifts me into contemplation of god and feel silly because you're doing what <laughs> the tradition well, well, always. And I think you had one picture in here that was um, sort of these web of connections, right? I, I have to write mm-hmm. the fourth part, the fourth, fourth sense tomorrow. But to a certain extent, this, this, this pleasure of finding the patterns and the connections and the anagogy that lifts you up and shows you with a world that is to come, it's finding yourself in the pattern. It's what we've been talking about on the Mosaic Arc all along. You've already, mm-hmm. if you've been sailing with us on the ark this whole time you've already been doing all of this it's 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 the it's the it's the inheritance of christ it's not some you know it and postmodernism can't can't hurt it or or destroy it it can only mimic it and and um hide its references well that's what i was going to say because uh, the postmodernists uh that gave birth to wokeness seem to have replicated this need to find themselves in patterns in the obsession over personal intersectionality identities and then deconstructing everything is essentially their attempt at exegesis only they're not uh they're not reading christ into anything so now we're getting we're getting uh, a culture that is, <laughs> by the sounds of it, medieval without Christ. Well, d- 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 we're getting a culture without Christ. And that's that you say, why did everything flatten out? Yeah. The world without mm. Christ is flat. No depth, no high definition. No depth, no high definition. And that's, I'd say, you know, mm. so I am actually, you know, I don't know whether, I ba- I'm bothered by bad storytelling. I'm obviously bothered, you know, I'm mainly, I'm more bothered by Mary Sue's, I think, than anything else, right? These these mm. these these women characters that come in and, and show the men to be ridiculous constantly. Now, what's interesting about that, and we're not really doing that, we should do a, we did, should do a stream on female saints, right? St. Saint Catherine, who, you know, bamboozles all the philosophers and breaks the wheel that they're going to torture her on and stuff like that. The the Mary Sue is, is a, it, most of these characters are like superheroes or Mary Sue's. They're all like bad saints, they're saints without the reference to Christ, mm. which is why they're irritating. That's why they're irritating. Uh, that that that's why they're irritating because it's it's all of the stories, all of the structures of heroism and 
virtue and, you know, defending the weak and such like that without Christ as the, the, the logic, right? It's logosless. It's, it's mm-hmm. illogical and therefore they're irritating, but most people are not understanding why they find it irritating. They just recognize that there's some central significance of the story that's been stripped out. And I just say it just, it talk about flat earth, right? That without, mm-hmm. it's like you want it, you want to not have the full richness of Dante thinks the earth is a sphere guys. Cause that's how the, the plot depends on, the characters going Dante and Virgil going down through hell to the middle of the earth. And then there's a very telling scene when they flip and they go up, right. They're in the middle of a, a globe and then they go to the purgatory, which is on the opposite side. And then they're in the spheres of the, the heavens. So this, the spherical idea mm-hmm. is ancient because it's perfect. Right. So there's this, the sphere, it's just geocentric. So that picture, which is David holding Goliath's head mm. with all of the lines that have been included on it, that's kind of the same thing. It's it's people could see that picture without the lines and say that's great art, right? Compared to some modern scribble, some postmodern scribble, they'll say no, that's technically beautiful. It's really good. This is much better than another kind of art. Why? They don't know. They can't consciously see the lines. Only artists can see the ge- ge- the geometry behind the painting which makes it balanced and perfect because it's numbered and measured properly and it has that uh, internal geometry to it so this is the same thing we get Christless culture we don't have the the internal geometry that's required to exactly uh, form it beautifully yeah that makes sense but as I think we talked we talked about last week that that you know there's only one story and Mm -hmm. and and Christian's Y'all really need to be firm on this. <laughs> in today's today's mm, today's yes. blog post, I was doing the moral level of scripture, and I was talking about Gregory the Great and the morality and Job, which is the great you know sort of moral reading of Job ever. It's three volumes long, and it was the monastic classic throughout the Middle Ages. It's like monks train themselves in virtue by reading Gregory the Great on Job. But it's like, what happened to that? Right? What happened to our understanding of sin and of the way in which we're tempted and the the sort of chatter of all of the the vices and and so forth. Well, one of the things that happened was Kant, and I didn't I didn't properly appreciate this until I read an article recently. I can't remember where I saw it, so no reference. It's out there, right? It's in and the thing is, Kant is kind of out there. This this whole sense of there's no there's no actual morality. There's just your morality, and my morality, and my morality needs not to interfere mm-hmm. with your morality. But you know, Q two John Stuart Mill, where you know basically the masses are oppressing you if you can't do experiments of morality, and therefore we're now in you know the modern period. What you've taken out, everyone's got their own truth. That's yeah, where this comes yeah, from. Your my truth, truth, your truth. Yeah, it's it's yep. coming out of yep. this, and it's it's the the loss of. I mean, Christ is the the the, the structure on which creation was built and without that it, it you'll be bugged by it and you won't know why because you'll be sensing the pieces of the structure sort of flapping around without reference mm. which is the story the story issue right. pieces don't fit together right you're kind of familiar with random references and this is the zuma humor too so we get right. this kind of degradation you know, it's not a, it's not an offense against the generation. It's just a reality that the mentality has emerged from this degradation. So the references are not connected. They're not formed 
in a geometry of story. It's just randomized. And then uh, you're kind of swimming in a in a chaos of references, but you could, you don't know where they fit together. You can't put them together. Yep. That makes sense, which would be why access in something like Dante would be even more uh, terrifying mm. because uh, we're not just dealing with the time, you know, the time lapse of, of something that was pop satire that now looks highbrow. It's highbrow, but now the culture doesn't even know how to fit references together that are in its own contemporary uh, story moment let alone something that was happening way back when. Okay, this is making more sense. So how do we start thinking uh, in this way again? I mean, first, overcome the embarrassment, overcome this European em European embarrassment, I'll say it. You know, I love doing it. <laughs> how, how can people think like Africans? And the Alexandrians, like like origin, yeah. Yes. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I think the embarrassment is a huge part of it. I, and, and I like to think so we, we've got circles of hell and Dante's Inferno in Minecraft or game some game or other that's not Minecraft you, you found a game version of the circles of oh hell. yeah I did sorry <laughs> yeah I did I thought that was pretty funny because it, it seemed to me that basically Dante was gaming oh know? yeah he was, in, he was in he was in exile had nothing to do a little bit of gold digging you know, hating on his enemies, putting them in hell, you know, <laughs> and just like messing around with uh with with the Italian language, you know, he was just gaming in exile. So I thought that was really funny. Someone actually constructed <laughs> constructed a map of uh, the inferno in a game style. Well, he is. Yeah. I mean, yes, he is gaming in in hell, and he is. Um, we've got his geocentric universe here, but but he is also fitting everything into this glorious structure, and. I mean, it's like yeah. the the best way to to start with studying Dante is look at the maps. Um, that that's mm -hmm. that's one of the things we say we're working on with Draco Chemicus. It's like we we give you mirrors, which I'd like to talk about in a moment. But we also give you maps, right? And and I think, um, you know, I'm I'm I I'm, I want to hear more about the Zoomer irony because I, I you know my, my my when my students come to me in class they're they're working on maps and structure right but I recognize that yeah. they in their in their free time share memes probably I guess and that some of the ones they've shown me have that sort of lack of structure that that high irony that nothing ref, nothing refers stably to anything else and. I, I'm I'm guessing people don't necessarily like it, although they seem to enjoy it. So I, I think there's there's levels mm. there. But as with so it's like the four senses of scripture. If you describe them, hopefully, as the way I did, it's like there's there's a story. There may be symbolic references that it has to reality, which is Christ. There are you know lessons that you have in how to behave because that's how we learn to behave. We study human beings in life and we also tell stories and stories storytelling helps us test out how to you know make choices in in, in differences you know and mm. fairy tales are interesting because the choices don't necessarily make any sense but they have a logic within the fairy stories so it's like we're yeah. we're, we're, we're testing alternate realities because the our alternate reality is always what happens next Right, it's like there's yeah. this thing happening now. What could happen now? And we're good at like projecting possibilities, okay. And then 
we do get pleasure, very deep pleasure, and I think everybody does. I, 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 well, I don't know. Maybe people who can't tidy their room don't don't get it. But if you if you're wanting to put things in order, you're wanting to build things, you're wanting to, you know, create a create a, mm-hmm. a design layout. You're trying to make a make a a, a you know. Okay, maybe I don't know. Whatever autism I have, it's like I always named all my toys and put, you know, made them genealogies and stuff, right? <laughs> it's like, how can you not get pleasure at putting things in a structure in order, seeing the way the symbols unlock? I think that's why Dan Brown is so rich, right? It's like, yeah. we do this, right? That kind of contemplation yeah. of creation is what Dante's paradise ultimately leads to, which is you're contemplating the macrocosm, the microcosm, the creation in your own soul, ramifying through mm-hmm. all of these different layers. It's bliss, right? Yes. Now, I, yeah. I, I contend that people do this without realizing that that's what they're participating in. Like if you memorize sports statistics or you, um, you know, know all of the characters in a story world or... I mean, all of these are great memory feats and we don't credit them because, oh, that's pop culture, right? But these these are repertoires of significance and, and association that people do make and they take great pleasure in doing so. Collecting Pokemon, mm-hmm. which are supposed to be bugs, but whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I was thinking this, um, this way that Dante tries to bring th- people through the journey into that contemplation, into that like what what you Romans would call the beatific uh, experience, the beatific vision, the ultimate beauty. Um, That's actually the face had... of God and, and, and Dante doesn't go there. He, he... Oh, well, he go, he, he, yeah. he's sort of almost there. He's almost he's getting, there. And he's then getting he... closer and closer and closer. He sees Mary and, that's, and then she has a face like Christ and then Blinko, right? Because you can't. Yeah. You know. Uh, but it's the it's the urge towards it that he's following, mm-hmm. and then he has his he has his muse, which is this uh, this girl that he met when he was a very young boy, and it's sort of like a lifelong a lifelong simping that has turned into the muse of his story. <laughs> you know, see, the you have we... all of the rep- We have all of the resources yeah. we need. Exile simping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all there. <laughs> he simps for this girl, follows her through, uh, you know. Autistic through, through, levels like, of structure. Existence. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. It's <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, the, 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 immortal, the immortal autism of Dante. Um, so, okay, so he's he's getting everybody to sort of consider this this experience not the beatific vision but closer and closer towards ultimate beauty and this is what the scriptures are doing for us also yes the contemplation of the scriptures in the way that dante has laid out his work the four senses not the pancake version the flatness that has absolutely no uh, uh no depth the four senses of scripture are allowing people to go through the scriptures to see Christ in them and to come into greater and greater levels of definition to uh, to see him. Mm-hmm. 
as as much as we possibly can in this life. So, okay, my next question. How can people transcend, do, take the first step and transcend the literal, the little literal interpretation? Something literally happens. That's this is what everybody's stuck on, mm. as you said before, because everybody wants to find the historical Jesus, right? Uh, and they're stuck in nineteenth-century historical obsession, which is like if you only got stuck on literal and you couldn't break out of that box at all. How do we get to the next level of the game, which is it's not just literal. There's something else here because people need to learn how to game. This is gaming. Of Dolly Parton. <laughs> you're already doing it right i mean yeah. this is it's it's so funny it's like if you put a label on something suddenly people think it's like this inaccessible activity whereas if um, you realize that you're actually doing it already and okay so a label mm. i mean labels are used names words are useful because they anchor you in remembrance of things that you've actually already experienced. Although there is this problem. It's like, if you haven't named, if you name it, you know what to aim for. But if you, if you haven't achieved it, you don't know what the name means. So it's, it's a kind of, there's a, there's a, there's a problem there. But if you start realizing that most of what we're talking about, it's like people like stories, people like stories that, you know, challenge them to, you know, recognize the characters, get inside the the, the drama of the mm -hmm. characters. Um, they they want to see themselves in the situations at some point. And so obviously the reason that people got upset about um, Ariel being represented differently is that they'd identified herself, they identified her with one version of her character. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this, the people get similarly upset when they see Christ depicted in different ways. <laughs> Which, which yeah. was, which yeah. was, you know, some of what happened in the 19th century with the the English. I was reading this book on the Victorian um, Jesus, and has affected a lot of my thinking about it. It's like these Protestant painters, like the Pre-Raphaelites, like William Holman Hunt and such. You know, they tried to do all of this like highly specific historical research quote by going to to Palestine at the time, which meant they saw 19th century Palestine, mm -hmm. and then did historically yes. accurate representations of what Jesus's life would have been like in 19th century Palestine. Um, and then if you represent Christ differently now, you're suddenly all upset because, oh no, you can't show him as Chinese or you can't show him as a, a construction worker or you can't, I mean, that that's it. That one of the William Pullman Hunt ones that I, I posted recently on my Twitter got someone a little excited because I was, he's, he's standing like this and, um, he's in a carpenter shop and Mary is sort of her backs to the viewer and looking down mm -hmm. and such. And, and Christ is in this, this very strange position. And the, the, um, the, the Twitter person said, well, that, you know, that's, that's horrible. That's I mean, gay. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I look at the picture and 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 he's like, no, no, no. and I was, he, he's standing like that because his tools are behind him and it, the the it's his shadow is cast onto the tool the bar of tools on his wall and he's crucified, right? Mm -hmm. So he's there as this tanned young man. Holman Hunt actually had some various uh, models for these paintings, and the one for this one apparently was was a man in Palestine, I think. Um, 
he sometimes used his friends when he got home to England too, so it gets confusing. Um, but anyway, the, you know, the, the, the furore that Hunt got in the 19th century was one, that the man looked too Jewish, um, two, that he was mostly naked, three, that he was tan, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and four, therefore, that he looked like a workman, right? And it's like that was the point. <laughs> He's showing him <laughs> as, in his carpentry shop, foreshadowing with the shadow. Get it? Ha ha! The crucifixion, but because Hunt was Anglican and therefore Protestant, therefore not wanting to do anything too Catholic. It's so yes. interesting because he was trying to show the layers of reality in Christ's mm-hmm. life. And a modern viewer of that picture can think, oh, that's like a new AI generated something that's just meant to be, you know, rainbow like. And I'm like, so misread this picture. Mm. And, you know, so, so it's a. But this is happening to you. But this happens to you a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because because <laughs> people are thinking with post collapse modernity blinkers on. Yes. And you're not. You're not stuck in this mentality. And so you're arguing with people or, you know, not, not, not needlessly trying to open their understanding to the fact that you're seeing things in these kinds of images or texts or whatever it is that you're discussing topics and trying to explain, no, I'm seeing different layers in here that you can't access yet. Let me show you. People are screaming at you saying, right. no, but it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. So the, the, it, it's, a, it's a different, uh, a, a, a different psycho-spiritual language to try and communicate in. Well, this is people are seeing an image like this that enrages them yeah. instead of just trying to calm down for a few minutes and read, read the layers that are there. Uh, they they seem that they can't do it well so this is what the dolly parton um foursome is is therefore you know sort of whimsical and interesting because it's showing her on the different social media platforms mm-hmm. um you know linkedin you have to be yeah, you have to, you have to be all like business-like <laughs> facebook you're kind of friendly and you know and you're in your in your sweater um instagram i don't get instagram i'm completely confused by instagram mel help me I, I, it's artsy. It's where everyone does artistic stuff. You oh, know, right. If you want to be arty on Instagram. Okay. And then Tinder, she's a bunny. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, 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 and I mean, again, that's what's interesting. We are actually practiced in reading different, you know, sort of contexts and, and representations mm-hmm. and roles and recognizing this is all the same character, but under different guises. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting that there are other characters that become iconic in the way that I guess Little Mermaid did for for people, or Christ does, and they get angry at being shown a different sort of um, aspect. Mm. And this is, of course, very interesting for Christ because that's kind of the whole point <laughs> he got yeah i mean he didn't get crucified because well you know there's a number of reasons he got crucified and the historical readings are are of course typical of you know he was a revolutionary or he was a troublemaker to the romans or he was this that or the other but the the, the reason that everybody got mad at him and the, what the gospels are trying to show was he was these other things that you couldn't see mm. he was actually 
the one prophesied, he's the Messiah, that the Gospels are all, they're written to be read in these multiple layers because they're written to be shown. I, I think our, fav our, our favorite picture is, I'll, I'll, I'll skip to head to the birds. I'll go to the birds. Yeah. The birds are the best. We're, we're flipping around in our slides a lot more tonight than usual. It's like, they've got the spons and spons and come back. Bird vision! Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that to see the scriptures read in the way that the authors of the New Testament are reading the Old Testament, you have to put on bird glasses or yep. something. Right? You have to see through the spirit to the layers of color that are invisible otherwise. And I think this is a marvelous metaphor. It's like our human vision just sees the historical bird, as it were, the literal bird, right? But the bird yeah. sees... The, I, mean, it's like, it's like, I saw this today and it was like wonderful saying birds see in this many colors wow right we think peacocks are yeah. beautiful what do they see <laughs> yeah, I bet I the lady peacocks are actually also quite pretty even though we just think they're brown right and, and so if you, can, if you can see with the eyes of the spirit if you can read the scriptures with the eyes mm -hmm. of the spirit you are suddenly seen in all of these registers that are invisible to you if only you're if all you're doing is reading historically and worrying about whether you know Jesus was a carpenter in Nazareth in the particular social and political moment that he lived. Mm. Yeah, you're missing the beauty. You're missing the color. Yeah. Everything just uh, it 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 looks black and white, and that's what modern religion looks like. In comparison to the medieval, uh, uh, again, everyone can say, okay, well, they had beautiful Gothic architecture, right. but that architecture is their internal world projected out and constructed. I mean, what were they themselves on the inside? Gothic. That internal way of seeing, that vision, the internal architecture of their souls was Gothic. Think about how freaking psychedelic or it's not even psychedelic because it's ordered it's it's not a it's not a you know random fractals everywhere blah. it's a specifically powerfully ordered hyper-dimensional way of understanding the world right. specifically christic isn't that wonderful i think so <laughs> yeah to, th to, to think of people as gothic cathedrals uh in the way that they see things in their vision of things so uh it's the it's the bird vision it's the bird vision and it, it seems to me that everybody wants it uh and and people are now uh thanks to kind of changes in drug policy people seem to be very much more comfortable discussing changes of consciousness in public mm. The experimentations of consciousness. The boomers sort of did it with Woodstock and the hippie movement and everything. But the culture has been flooded with this obsession over psychedelics. But it seems like Christian, uh, Christian culture hasn't been flooded with the uh, with the Gothic. You know what 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 would be the the religious version of a secular like culture getting flooded with psychedelics is that the west is yet to be flooded with the gothic in this mm -hmm. way but young people are <laughs> the young people 
but they do think differently. the the internet The internet thought patterns are changing people's brains. Like we've been talking about this with McLuhan, mm -hmm. the medium is the message, and the way that the technology is working everybody over. People's brains are getting rewired and changed by the technology that we're using. Plus, everyone's kind of uh, much more easily accessing mind-altering medications all the time. So it, to me, it seems like there's this... There's a desire to leave the 19th century behind. People don't want the flat pancake anymore. They want layers. They're trying to add layers in or find layers somehow. But they're not seeing that it's Christianity that is the... That is the, that's the story that they're, they're missing, you know, the cult. I, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling. Well, what's, very what's well no, but the thing sentence. is, that's what we were trying to do. It's like, we're trying to break a lot of, well, one, break through a lot of the crust of worry that people are, are caught up in because you can, you can end up worrying about things that are either been, been created as boogeymen for you. Right. It's like mm. the postmodernism, it got created as a boogeyman. But what I the irony of realizing that Roland Barthes, who's famous for polysemy and one of the great you know villains of class, you know, conservative, traditional education system, was reading De Lubac on this four senses of scripture. And that's how he came up with the idea. Mm -hmm. He just added a fifth sense and then said all text. I did a blog post some time ago on getting medieval on postmodernism that the to to see that what bart did he he literally lifts up many of his descriptions of the inexhaustibility of text straight off late de lubac it's like identical and and mm. either he just didn't reference him or if he did reference him the americans reading him didn't notice and so they they sort of got carried away with what they thought was this kind of you know psychedelic you know we can make anything mean anything we want to and didn't yes. recognize that he actually was taking it from a place that had more um coherence mm. but if people are thinking in a in the the med medieval polysemous way they're not going to seem coherent to modernity who operates on that flat right mentality right. that's what that's i'm saying true. like yeah the, 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 you know, the kind of like psychedelic culture that was, you know, so uh, revolutionary, rebellious, whatever, shocked, shocked the older generation, suddenly everyone's tripping, you know, oh, what are they doing to their brains? They're liquefying them. Yes, obviously, because it's like a pharmacological uh, uh, undoing of, of the of the mentality. But what I'm saying is that in order to in order to be able to reconnect with the European tradition, mm -hmm you're similarly going to look a little unusual to the oh, modernity right. mentality yeah. because it's not similar. It's, it, there is no, to be polysemous is going to uh, make you look a little nuts <laughs> at times. You're going to look I completely mean, nuts. The... But what's, what's interesting about it, so the 19th century, I can say the 19th century, the 19th century is also a great age of great spiritualism. It's like if we're if we're thinking about fairy tales, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're doing nothing. I mean, it's like, OK, the Nazis are crazy because they're, you know, doing all this occult woo woo. Right. It's like in every movie. Oh, yeah. you know, they're looking for the Ark, Indiana. Right. So the, yep. <laughs> yep. 
the nineteenth the nineteenth century is this kind of to, total Janus face schizophrenia. It's it's both the Enlightenment and Romanticism, and most of the nineteenth century is given up with inventing the the folklore that they're recognizing because of the cities they're losing contact with. But much of that folklore is straight up invented in the nineteenth century. Um, I think mm. I've I've talked about Ronald Hutton before. He he's done a a, a book recent. I, I feel like I've said this right. Did a book recently where he's talking about some of the invented traditions, like the 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 fancy green man faces and the 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 twentieth century effort to figure out exactly what they were, and you know that there's this great folkloric mystical thing. It's like some of that is because you know people are moving away from their hometowns and losing track of whatever stories that had like you know Don, the italians in australia they don't they don't remember the dante and they just make up stuff because they so want some kind of spiritual richness to their lives the world does not pe- human beings are clearly spiritual as well as physical beings because if we don't have a, a sort of spiritual training we invent enormous nonsense to um fill that gap right let's talk about aliens next <laughs> you know you got you guys without christ you just sound nuts right um and and so i think this is that there's a there's a nietzsche talked about it's the apollonian the dionysian he was on to something right there's this rational and there's this ecstatic and they seem to be you know constantly kind of in tension with each other but a lot of a lot of what you think about storytelling stories like why they have the character that they do now the 19th century did most of that mm. you know, the sort of the, the 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 um stylistic form that fairy tales have now and stuff we talked about that before it's the grims yeah who yes. it sounds like scripture because they modeled it on scripture so it seems to me then that if there's like uh if there there are catholics roman catholics i'll um i'll speak to the westerners the if they're really angry with what's going on with the culture all of the changes all of the insertions of you know uh interpretation of the identity the diversity the intersectionality la 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 if they're really unhappy with what postmoderns are doing to the stories it seems to me that they should also be really looking at what's going on in the seminaries mm-hmm. then in terms of training Roman Catholics to be able to think again in the way that would allow them to escape this modernity uh, uh, story world. Yes. They, sh- I mean, they should read my books, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, no, and this is, I mean, of all of the things that Vatican yeah. II did, this is one of the saddest, right? Because there were people like De Lubac going into Vatican II that were trying, that, that they, it was this movement of ressourcement, right? recovering the sources and i i think uh-huh. um ratzinger right benedict was part of that desire because he he tried to do it to a certain extent jesus in his jesus series where he's saying we're going to go back to the old styles of reading scripture and and do that mm. although my sense is he didn't do it <laughs> Um, as richly as he could have, because the the medieval tradition, and that's, it's like, if whatever we're doing in Draco Alchemicus, recognize it's coming from my knowledge of what is glorious and out there, and basically Hildegard, right? We, we're trying to achieve, Hildegard of yes. Bingen 
revelation of the ways of the Lord, right? CVS, CVS Domini, know the ways of the Lord. And it's this incredible, it's like you might as, everybody thinks she was on like migraines or something, but you know, this incredible trippy revelation of the full structures of reality through the creation or redemption, the virtues, the, the bride of the city and all of that. She's not, I mean, she may have been on migraines to a certain extent, but basically what she's tripping on is the liturgy. <laughs> and, and, and what the liturgy does is train you in finding all of these associations and resonances. And it's musical. It's, it's, it's full sensory, right? It's the music, it's the architecture, it's, you know, a daily routine. It's a annual routine. It's, you know, to be able to perform it, it takes enormous training that it's, it's like this, this ecstasy of skill. That's what lifts you mm -hmm. into this this full medieval understanding, and it's it's what created those cathedrals. It's magnificent and beautiful. Mm. And what we what what the so what the you know modernity lost was that level of training in the I mean the arts properly the the, the verbal arts and mm -hmm. the mathematical arts but also just in the coherence of all of the arts right now that, you know, the arts in the universities now are completely fractured, right? It's like you're specialized in one or the other. It's like, mm -hmm. we're all pieces of this one giant hole, but nobody knows the, 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 the connections. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. They're not focused on the full cathedral of knowledge. Right. It's just, we do balustrades. I do this or, you know, buttresses. Yes. I only do flying buttresses. <laughs> I just do gargoyles. Nothing I just else. do jam statues, right? I only yeah. do the glass. Yeah, it's exactly like that. I mean, to make them, they had to have yeah. like all those different, you know, craftsmen and so, and so forth. But they worked together in some kind of, they did have a vision of everything working together and that there was a point to it mm. all. And, you know, the, the, I, I, I think modernity has shown that if you don't have Christ as your point, you have Kant, which is everybody's their own truth <laughs> yeah yeah we're surrounded by cons <laughs> i'm sorry i had to say <laughs> we can use that we can use oh, yeah. that in polite company yeah yeah well we're poets we're allowed to bend reality you know bend reality and bend bend language to amuse ourselves um okay so I think I think a, a, lot, so a big is, part of our lesson is, is you guys are already doing all of the things that we're talking about. Some of it, it feels mysterious mm -hmm. because it's all been fractured and some of it, you know, co-opted by people who are anxious about their social status and other things, you know, told that, you know, that's too lowbrow or that's, 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 that's childish. Yeah. Christ is childish. That's, you <laughs> know. Well, I mean, I mean, this is the kind of, This is the thing that uh, makes the makes the distinction. Like when I when I look at what what we've retained in in the Coptic world, and what Europeans are experiencing in their religious environments now, um, it's it is what what you've very aptly described entering into fairy mm -hmm. and that 
at the moment, a lot of people seem to be discussing Catholicism as an engineering tool, not as an art, which from Hildegard's expression, that's what it was in the West. It, it wasn't Catholicism as social engineering. It was uh, Catholic faith as art form. Mm -hmm. People who wanted to be an uh, to be a work of art for Christ and to make works of art for Christ. This is an art engineering problem. We have the tension. Modernity wants everything engineered, and approaching uh, the Catholic faith. As an, as an engineering tool is really missing the point because it's just going to perpetuate the modernity mentality that gave you all the crappy buildings in the first place. So it's uh, the beginning then is reading as art, so it really is poetry. It really is beginning to see the scriptures poetically. Yeah the first art that we have to uh, to learn in order to escape modernity is the, uh, the poetic art. Which are folk. And I, and I talk about that yeah. in, I forget which one of the posts, right? It's like that poetry, that I say English literature begins in poetry, but it begins with a cowherd. Famously, mm -hmm. right? Cadman singing his songs of the songs of creation and, and, you know, Genesis and Exodus and Christ and the last judgment and stuff. And we do have, everybody's always trying to figure out which of, which are ones of the old English poetry that we have were Cadman's, but we have actual old English poems that do all of those things. And of course, only scholars read them now because they're in a form of the language that's, that's archaic. Um, but you know, the, the tradition was, as B tells it, that it was Cadman, the cowherd, who is there at the feast. You know, it's like the other, you know, day late um, peasants right? <laughs> at the abbey um, passing around the harp, and the harp comes to him, and he doesn't have anything to sing. And so he goes to hide in his cowshed, and the spirit comes to him and says, You're going to sing. And he says, What? And it's like, and he's inspired, and he sings, you know, the songs of, of the scriptures. But that's folk art, right? It's like the, the, the mm. high, it's so funny. It's like very funny how what becomes the highbrow or middlebrow anxious art of the future is what was the common art, the folk art of the time. And, and that is in fact what, you know, the origins of English literature were in. They were singing the songs of the scriptures in English, which was not the literary language. Mm. Okay, so same with Dante, right? It's like the, he when he's writing, he has to write long defenses of writing in the vernacular because he's not writing in Latin. Well, so it's it's like uh, memes becoming news mm -hmm. for everybody. Somebody generates a meme, it goes viral, and it becomes a part of the meme lexicon of the culture. Yep. No one really knows where it comes from, but it's folk art that becomes part of that. Uh, the structure of the culture yeah that makes sense right and as if you know hundreds of years from now um scholars started studying the memes and you know you you were you would be an expert in you know 2020 memes and, and stuff and, and and that would be a very highbrow mm -hmm. well middlebrow exercise i reading some other things for our drag alchemicus and learned that one of the one of the interesting things that happens in this in the 16th and 17th centuries are emblem books which i've never studied because it's out of 
out of my period, but they're basically memes, right? <laughs> there'll be a picture, there'll be a little um, short poem, and there might be a longer poem. And I'm reading about them as they're about mazes and labyrinths, some of them. No, there's some mazes and labyrinths are included in some of the emblem books, but apparently emblem books were super popular for several hundred years. And they would, they're basically books of memes. But now there's like scholarly conference sessions on them about, you know, the emblem, <laughs> emblem studies society, right? It's like, so think about all of the memes that we collected over the last several years. And now you do mm -hmm. scholarly studies on them. Pepe will become, you know, catalog the different Pepes <laughs> and, and, you know, how many of the different Chiba dogs there were and, you know, wh which version of the Chad cartoon there was. If you could turn that into scholarly study, it would be exactly the same. Interesting. So, okay. In that case, then, what, what, like, I can summarize this. <laughs> is it Catholics have to get over status anxiety in order to recreate the culture? Yeah. You have to be like, they got to get over you gotta it. You got to be like Christ. You got to be like St. Francis. And when the Pope says, you know, you're, you're too, you're too, you know, ordinary to come talk to me, go roll in the mud with the pigs. You go roll in the mud with the pigs and you come back and said, I did it. Now will you talk yeah. to me? <laughs> yep. I mean, st this is what's so funny. It's like Christ is all about disrupting the status anxiety. It's how we didn't get the memo. Mm. It's what monasticism, I mean, it's like, it's, and, and the thing is monasticism wrestles with this constantly, right? It's the point about monks is they throw off their worldly status, but then throwing off your worldly status, curiously enough, gives you stature. So people give you money. And then you have to throw off your worldly status again with a reform, a reform because you've gotten so wealthy. And, you know, and mm -hmm. every time you get money, cautionary tale, you get anxious about losing it, which then you have status. And then, you know, the more you get anxious about losing it, then you lose your reference to our Lord. Hmm. So somehow figure out how to stay poor <laughs> in spirit <laughs> at <always>. all times <laughs> yeah yeah but poor is but not being attached so you can write yeah. and make art <laughs> drat all of our dreams are becoming you know getting all the gold to to make more art yes we still want it um <laughs> it's true. We're, we're 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 hoist on our own desire for virtue Okay, that makes that makes sense. So, uh, we're at time. I I like I don't know how. No, we're not. We started we fifteen minutes late. So now, once upon a time, I'm going to tell you the story that goes with the picture in this manuscript. And hilariously enough, I think I found the origin of Snow White. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So this is from my own book, from Judgment to Passion. Beautiful picture that my status conscious publishers, bless their hearts. This picture is out of period for the book, but they figured the pictures that I gave them as examples of the art that was in the period weren't pretty enough. It wouldn't sell enough copies. <laughs> anyway, this picture that I'm showing you is in period, um, and it's an image from a famous manuscript of Honorius Augustinensis's longer commentary on the Song of Songs. Not the one I talk about in detail in the book, but I do talk about this one a little bit um, because what's very interesting about Honorius Augustinensis's 
commentary on the Song of Songs is he's very, very particular about explaining how it plays on all four levels of scripture. It's like most of the time commentators say that they're going to do it at different levels. They don't always... Gregory the Great in his three-volume commentary on Job is probably one of the only ones that did. Most of the time they like peter out and can't can't sustain it because it's actually a pretty demanding structure of of, mm. of exegesis. But the interesting thing about Honorius reading the Song of Songs and others of his of his period is they find a narrative in what's actually a series of love poems, right? It's literal in the literal sense. It's erotic poetry. Mm. <laughs> yeah and this this is why i also i've spent a lot of my career like tweaking the tweaking the the postmodernist who always want to find sex and everything and i'm like amateurs <laughs> are you kidding me sex is one thing contemplative transcendence is a whole nother thing and if you can like make god the lover and and the soul the the the, the beloved then we're then we're in for something right Okay, this is this is a whole page and it's a storytelling, so sit back and relax. Once upon a time. In Honorius's reading of the song, each of the four brides he saw four, okay, never mind, corresponded both to particular historical period, the ages of the patriarchs, prophets, apostles, and antichrist, and to a particular level of interpretation through which the scriptural text is to be read. Historia, allegoria, tropologia, anagogia footnote it's very likely that dante i don't he probably didn't know honorius but he certainly knew commentators on scripture who did this kind of thing because he seems to reference it right he, he definitely did in that letter to con grande um so honorius is doing this right at the same time however these brides are also characters in an elaborate narrative which in brief goes something like this the emperor of the heavenly republic wishing to have an heir bore to himself a co-equal son whom he betrothed in turn to a queen and concubine, that is, to angelic and human nature, so that they might bear for him co-heirs to the kingdom. When, however, one of the princes attempted to seize the highest power, the queen, who had consented to his tyranny, was polluted by her adultery and condemned to ex eternal exile along with the prince. Woohoo, racy. Immediately, the concubine was raised to the royal dignity and given the title of crown of the kingdom. She could not at this time receive the crown herself, however, for it had not yet been ornamented with the jewels of obedience. When the exiled queen saw that the crown being prepared for the, by the king's son for her rival, she began to plot how she might deceive the bride and deprive her of her honor, which spoliation she achieved by persuading the bride to render her, rather than God, the jewel of her obedience. It's Snow White, can you tell? <laughs> really good. The, bri the bridegroom, seeing his bridal gift thus thrown away, expelled the bride from the chamber of paradise, not to be restored until she had won back the lost jewel from the queen. And so, Honorius continued, the bride was forced to wander throughout the earth without teacher or law, only to be set upon by giants, not dwarves, who, like thieves, polluted her with their vices. The bridegroom had pity on her, sending a flood to destroy her enemies and giving her Noah to be her teacher, but he did not at this time come to rescue her himself, leaving her rather under the protection of Abraham and Sarah and their descendants, Isaac and Rebekah, Leah, Rachel and Jacob, Moses, Samson, David and Solomon, who himself married the daughter of Pharaoh. Got all that? Um, at long last, however, the bridegroom, and see, they're in the picture here, right? This is the, the bride and the bridegroom on their throne together, and he's got his arm around her because he loves her. The bridegroom visited the bride 
and returned to her the lost jewel of her obedience, washed her in baptism, clothed her with teachings, signs, and examples, and ornamented her with the sign of the cross made in his own blood, at which point her attendants, that is, the apostles, martyrs, and doctors, that's the dwarfs, the attendants, <laughs> mm -hmm. conducted her to heaven so that she might be prepared for her nuptials. Perfectly ornamented, she was at once led to her coronation in the heavenly court, where she was made with her bridegroom co-heir to the kingdom. So now they're on the, the throne together, right? Appropriately enough, the commentary itself begins with a little scene taken again, it would seem, directly from romance. Um, and this is like, he's going to layer the story again, but he's going to tell it again. So, the king of Jerusalem sends four messengers to the daughter of Babylon to ask for her hand in marriage, and she responds with a series of questions. You'll like these. Who is your yeah. lord? Is he handsome? Is he powerful? Is he rich? <laughs> is, he honored with gifts? is he honored with gifts? Who are his servants? How great is his praise? The messenger's answer inspires her to respond. Let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth. This is the first line of the Song of Songs. And speak to me what pleases him and I shall do his will. The body of the commentary recounts the progress of the romance itself up to the point where the bridegroom receives, rescues the fourth and final bride, the mandrake, gives her a new golden head and welcomes her to the wedding feast. I say that's every fairy tale, <laughs> which is why obviously Prince Charming is always Christ, right? It's th these, these, these fairy tales that resonate and it's interesting what Disney did with them, right? I mean, Little Mermaid is interesting and we could do a kind of like, how is Hans Christian Andersen, who I think is Lutheran, right? All of these, you know, bride, um, Disney princess rescued by Prince Charming stories are this. Mm. It's the song of, it's these mystical readings of the song of songs where the um, bridegroom is Christ and the bride is the soul and the prince comes to rescue her from her distress you think they'll hire me at disney <laughs> <laughs> i hope so <laughs> we could do a really i mean it's like you could nope. do a really good version don't ever leave us <laughs> but but so i mean but it it is interesting because when people respond to the stories and and they feel like there's depth to them there is there's enormous yeah. depth but it's the depth of christ longing for his bride the soul Longing for mm -hmm. his bride, the church. Longing for his bride, humanity. If if you have that feeling that the prince wants us so much, and I, there's a Andrew Greeley did a wonderful um, uh, set of books that he republished as Myths of Religion. He has a great reading of Mount Sinai and the the the, the covenant, right, as a love story. He has a, a you know good reading of of the Gospels and a less strong reading of Mary because he doesn't get what the scriptures say about her in, in, in full depth, but the, the reading of God's love for humanity that's there in the scriptures, that's, that's realized in the incarnation, that is the story of our redemption. That's what the fairy tales are telling always. If they're, if they're European fairy tales and they're coming out of the tradition, my guess is they're, they're coming out of these song of songs allegories. Well, I had an interesting thought then. <laughs> Perhaps a little controversial. Ooh. But the anger about who gets to play these fairy tale princesses in these stories. People from the wrong continent, the wrong ethnic group. That strikes me 
as an interesting revelation of envy about who gets to be the fairy tale princess. That is fascinating. You see what I'm not actually bothered by the aerial, the the yeah. Caribbean aerial. Yeah. Oh well, I'm not. <laughs> but I, it's like what, the princess. I but, said Christ loves humanity, this, right? So these princesses mm. and she's like all of these, you know, all of the, the 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 sort of range of Disney princesses. I mean, what's interesting, and when I was doing the morality um, post today, and I'm saying I have, I, that one's. They're all mediums length for me, but you know, I was I was feeling the the, the pressure. <laughs> I'm going to write about the virtues of vices. Oh, gee, right? It's like the entire blog was a journey through that training and and you know, go into the yeah. desert, wrestle with thoughts, d deal with what happens when you have envy and and lust and gluttony and and so forth. And so deep deep backstory of today's post is the whole blog. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I've also taught a course on virtues and vices. And so, you know, it's like, there is, there's references and scholarship, but one of the things I found is like, of course, if you look up the, the, the virtue, the vices now, the seven deadly sins, you'll get parodies of them. We're talking about irony, right? You'll get, there was a famous ad campaign in the eighties that Harper magazine ran, um, the new, uh, the essay magazine, not the, the bizarre the fashion magazine where they had you know ad campaigns to make the vices seem appealing well the vices always seem appealing to modernity because we've been re we've redefined them as repressed desires and you know you're supposed to indulge them mm -hmm. there's a whole series of pictures oh there's several series of pictures of the disney princesses being different vices right it's like that that it's you know that makes sense because it's straight up inverting what the disney princesses are i mean they're fallen in vice like like minorius has them has her right that the and the, the the way the bride the queen and the concubine play out and this is interesting right that sort of rivalry between two versions of who the bride is is important mm -hmm. but um you know that she's lost in sin that that is that standard in these stories that the bride is cannot the bride has to be rescued from the the corruption that she's fallen into and but that's humanity so, mm. and, and, you know, that she belongs with the, the, the characters, of the old Testament and all of these different women or different aspects of the bride. Of course, the Disney princesses work that way. <laughs> yes. You can't subvert, you can't subvert Christ's story so much that it's unrecognizable. That's the good news. <laughs> People get upset with it because obviously it doesn't end in happiness and redemption, but it should and that's why yeah. people get upset because that is the story that our souls are longing for the happily ever after mm -hmm. mm. okay well <laughs> i don't have any more questions for you in terms of like <laughs> how people can access it it's just uh it's making me it's making me chuckle now because We seem to be dealing in at least the political level uh, a major uh, raging war over who gets to have the happily ever after. That's all that this mm -hmm. is, essentially. Modernity arguing over who deserves it, who was robbed of it, who 
is entitled to it, who needs additional help to achieve it. It's all sort of this uh, fancified, scientifically described way of hiding that really everybody is fighting over who gets to have a happily ever after. Well, and I think, so Casey was saying the Mary Sue's are irritating um, because this was some time ago, but I, I can I can read back. Um, Mary Sue's are wish fulfillment fantasies for underachieving females and their admirers. I think why they're irritating is it's the soul trying to redeem itself. And it's not going to work. Mm. Um, yeah. And... Um, so Casey says, you must watch Disney's The Princess and the Frog. Trust me, you'll be pleasantly surprised. I believe absolutely it's a blatantly Christian movie. Okay, we have a recommendation. Watch The, the Princess and the Frog. But this is, say, if, if what you're going to be irritated by is the disruption of the structure, which is what Honorius and his contemporaries saw in The Song of Songs, which is, I mean, it's 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 deeply embedded in, in the um, Old Testament as well, as greatly is shown in I Do in my book. Right. It's like, this is our love story. This is our great love story. This is the greatest fairy tale ever told, which is God's love or humanity. And all mm -hmm. of the, all of the fairy stories are going to participate in that. And they'll have these, these layers of, there's a story, you see Christ in it because Christ is going to show in the true stories. Um, you see the, the lesson in morality that it's trying to give you. And we, by contemplation of these designs and resonances and patterns and associations and structures, you will be lifted into an appreciation of the structure and beauty of creation. And those are the four senses. I just did it again, right? It's very, it's, they, they're not like difficult, like codes to break. It's, it's simply a, a description mm -hmm. of the process of entering into a story fully and, 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 um, getting the the deep soul pleasure of recognizing how god talks to us it's a folk tradition it's right. not something that needs to be gained through uh secret initiation right so it's doable it's i mean it's it's the bird vision is you know is is nice right yeah. it's just it's it's this is there it's there in creation it's actually beautiful and it's mm -hmm. already there and you know, mm. worrying about people telling you, you know, it's like you're not educated enough or you're not, um, you know, sophisticated enough or you're not, you know, edgy enough to be able to see that that bird is beautiful. Mm. We could certainly, I, there's a whole, there's a blog post out there on birds too, because there's a whole layer of, you know, massively wonderful bestiary mm. symbolism on the, the significance of birds in the medieval tradition. I, I, I'm just surprised everybody's not a medievalist because it's so much joy to be seeing creation this way. Mm. We'll make you medievalist eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to practice as Christians not caring about people's uh, status anxieties. And when we see beauty, when we see Christ in something, ignoring all of the uh the insults you know or the uh embarrassed comments or uh opinions that come from people that can't see the they can't see the beauty if you have bird vision and you see it then you see it that's it yes 
And polysemia is just a fancy way of saying we can understand on multiple levels the beauty of the story. Sounds like something you'd teach a bird to say. <laughs> one of those talking parrots. <laughs> yes. Probably yes. Polysemi. Poly <laughs> oh, actually, that's what polysemi. Yeah, polysemi. Polysemi. <laughs> okay, so we hope we have now reassured you that A, you're already doing it. <laughs> um, B, the pleasure that you take in finding all of these associations and connections and resonances and stories is real. Um, and that this great literature that has been hidden from you by status anxiety is great because it actually is folk. It's for the people. Yeah. Don't afraid. It, don't be afraid to be lowbrow. Enjoy your superheroes. Yeah. <laughs> Comic books. <laughs> Okay, now we actually are to time. All right, so let me just like, um, I had to turn my, my Telegram chat off because some, some people added some blinky things in it and it was blinking at me too much. <laughs> Cuteness overdose. Yes, we've got cuteness overdose with the doggy and the duck, okay. Now, dear, if you can't say any nice, sing nice, say something clever but devastating. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Go tell stories. Have bird vision. Yeah. Feed the birds. Feed the birds. Okay. Join us. Oh, wait. So, um, those of you who are watching in real time, we're going to have a break next week. Um, the mm. fourth uh, of July, which would be the no wait. That Wednesday is the fifth of July, but whatever. We're having a break next week. Um, we figure you have a lot of videos to catch up on from our Monday Night Marathon. Please watch all of those because all of this will be on the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We'll see. We'll see you guys in in a couple weeks. Um, Bye. Be birds. Sing for joy.